If I get a couple of men to hand out um, the uh, outline for tonight, that would be great. Let me, uh, while they're doing that, just remind you uh, that we do have the flyers at the Welcome Center. We do have the shirt uh, order forms if you're interested in ordering a shirt. Uh, you can do that with an order form or you can do that online as well. Um, and uh, then um, just uh, take advantage of all of those um, opportunities if you uh, so desire. Revelation chapter number one tonight. The book of Revelation chapter number one. We uh, uh, just have laid a very good foundation and uh, now we are going to begin to really dive in deep uh, to uh, the book of Revelation and begin to see um, what, uh, what John is describing to us and, and the things that excited him. Um, as well as that, I believe, will excite us as he pens the words uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to him. Uh, in the top of your outline, uh, Kevin, will you go back and just hit that first slide for me? Since it flipped over, it's not working. Um, when you go to the right top of your outline, um, it's uh, entitled the Patmos Vision. And uh, we are now on... Uh, where John has received and beginning to receive the vision uh, that God has given to him uh, for us. And uh, uh, it is, uh, there we go, thank you. Um, it is the Patmos vision. Uh, the location, I'm going to start right at the top, I'm going to just jump right in and uh, we'll read our passage here in just a moment. But the location and occasion for the writing of the book of Revelation was the island of Patmos where John was banished by Domitian for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I want you to look with me in uh, Revelation chapter number 1. We're going to start reading in verse number 9. The Bible says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Verse number 10, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. So, uh, uh, John was banished by uh, Domitian for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but what a testimony it is for John to have to say that the reason that he was banished to this island by Domitian was because of his testimony. I mean, I, I just want you to think about that. To have such a testimony in your life that you emulate Jesus Christ in everything that you do, and the only way that they can possibly uh, uh, stop this testimony, the only way they can possibly keep you from uh, uh, having a testimony is by banishing you. And uh, what a great, great thought. And so uh, it was for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, Patmos is a small island in the Aegean Sea. It's mainly volcanic hills and rocky ground with neither trees, river, or any land for cultivation. It reminds me of Arizona. I mean, it's just, it's just nothing uh, the island is about 10 miles long and 6 miles wide at the north end. So Patmos is an island that's literally just volcanic. And uh, there is no land for cultivation, very rocky ground. A place that no one would really uh, want to be. It was used by the Romans for political banishment. 
and the inmates wore fetters and scanty clothing, had insufficient food, slept on the bare ground, and were made to work in the mines under military overseers. Sounds like a place we all want to go on vacation to, doesn't it? No, this was a terrible place. I've read several commentaries, and many of them have said it like this. They said that this island was worse than any prison that has ever been in the history of mankind. Uh, because literally, uh, the men were not fed, the men were not taken care of, they had nothing, they slept on the ground, they literally put their heads down on rocks to sleep, and uh, they were made to work in the mines every moment that they were awake. And so it was a difficult, difficult situation. John was around 90 years of age when he was banished, all right? So can you imagine that? To add on top of the circumstances and add on top of the situation that he was in, he was not a young man. He was 90 years old. So here's a 90-year-old man on this island working in the mines in these type of environment. John's exile lasted about 18 months. It lasted about 18 months. So he was on the island for um, a little more, uh, about a year and a half, so 18 months. Tradition affirms that John returned to Ephesus, where he died at the age of 102. And so that kind of gives you an idea of where John is at in his life while he's writing the book of Revelation. And so when you think about where he was at, if you think about how old he was, if you think about all that he was going through, for God to use a man like that, look at me for just a moment, there is no one in this room that God can't use. You say, Pastor, I'm too old. No, 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 I don't believe it. Because he was 90 years old, and he received a vision from the Lord that he wrote the book that we are now studying, and the only book in the Bible that, that the promises that you'll be blessed if you read it. So what that tells me is that there is never a moment as a Christian that we can stop serving God until someone is doing our funeral. Are you with me? So uh, it is very important that we understand where John is at in his life. Now, Domitian banished John to Patmos to reduce his influence on other Christians. That's very interesting because little did he know that while in exile, John would receive the visions that today we call the book of Revelation. This book right here sparked even greater, the next word is courage, even greater courage and resistance among the Christians. So really what Domitian did did not, uh, did not help the situation in Domitian's eyes. It actually hurt it. Because they banished John to this island. He began to write this book of Revelation. And what began to happen? The people began to have a revival. They began to have great courage. They were, they were strengthened because of John's faith. Now, if John would have went over to the island, because this is important. If John would have went over to the island and got on that island and just said, you know what? I give up. Because he could have done that. Right? John could have been banished on that island and said, you know what? I'm 90 years old. I give up. Somebody just literally in my life. I'm going to go down these mines and I'm literally going to work myself to death. I'm going to cause some kind of accident and I'm just not going to be used. Imagine the thought process of life today have we not had the book of Revelation and realize as Christians that we received the ultimate victory. 
But instead, John said, you know what? I'm going to have courage. And because of his testimony and because of his courage, it sparked greater courage and resistance to Domitian among the Christians. Number one, the circumstances of the Patmos vision. The circumstances of the Patmos vision. We read uh, uh, verses 9 through verse number 11 as, as a starting point tonight. But here are the circumstances surrounding the Patmos vision. So as far as Domitian was concerned, the circumstances of John on Patmos were to be permanent. I love this. But the circumstances of God's people are always subject to God's divine intervention. Right? Uh, 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 John, Domitian looked at this and said, well, this is a permanent situation now. He's banished. I don't ever have to worry about John. I don't ever have to worry about, uh, 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 worry about whether he's going to make a, 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 a mark anymore. And so what did they do? John, uh, uh, Domitian said, this is a permanent situation. God looked at it and said, no, let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to put him on that island. We're going to reveal the book of Revelation to him. And then, by the way, after 18 months, we're going to send him back to Ephesus and let him finish out his life on a high. That is what God allowed to happen because of God's divine intervention. We've already discussed the physical circumstances, the reason and the place of John's banishment as revealed in verse 9. Now in verses 10 and 11, he describes his spiritual circumstances. His spiritual circumstances. I, I really, um, this is hard for me to do in one night. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Because I could spend the next 17 hours talking about verse number 10. Because I'm telling you, if you really, and I'm going to try my best to relay this, but if you could really capture these next couple of verses, I believe with all my heart that it could change your Christian life. Because John did something that I believe with all my heart uh, is a rare situation and a rare circumstance, but however, I believe it's available to every Christian. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He says, I was in the Spirit in the Lord's day. This is the only place in the New Testament the phrase, the Lord's day, is found. And John says, I was in the Spirit on that day. God was working in my heart. God was working in my life. Now, just so that we can understand what the Lord's day is... Uh, there are many different uh, beliefs about that. Many have written about they think that the Lord's Day is. Um, some believe it refers to Easter Sunday uh, or the coming of the Lord. Uh, but most commentators take the expression to mean Sunday, the first day of the week. And you do that by transliterating and you also do that by looking at the Old Testament versus the New Testament and how it's uh, um, translated in the Greek and also in the Hebrew. But it, whether it, the day of the Lord really doesn't matter as far as the day itself, the, the impact here is that John was in the Spirit. John was caught up with what God was doing in his life. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, which means he was worshiping and praising God. Now, this is a great thought because I want you to think about what's going on right now. You realize that John has a, a, a companion, not where he's at, but somewhere else. Do you know what his name is? It's alive around the same time. He might be in prison. Somebody just said it. Paul. And Paul said, in whatsoever state I am, there will I be content or calm. 
our, our, our understanding. Listen, here's John in the worst case scenario that he could find himself in. And he was in the spirit, meaning that he was worshiping and praising God. No matter what's going on in our life, we can always praise God. No matter how difficult the circumstances are, we can always praise God. God, when you're in the spirit, uh, this is the truth, you don't sit around feeling sorry for yourself, or you don't sit around asking the Lord, why did you let this happen to me? You're not thinking about the sorrow. As a matter of fact, when we are in the spirit, we do not question God. Instead, we know we are where God wants us to be. And even if we are in the most adverse circumstances, we know that God has us there for a reason. Are you with me? I mean, when we're in the spirit, we don't question God. We know we are where God wants us to be. Even if we're in the most terrible of circumstances, we know God has us there for a reason. And this is what I want you to get out of that tonight, is this. Is that whenever God puts you through a trial, whenever God puts you through adverse circumstances and difficulties, we need to stop doing what Paul has done and eventually, Paul stopped doing it. He only actually did it three times. Paul asked God to remove what? The thorn in his flesh. We don't know what the thorn was. But God, God did not grant his wish. So what did Paul do? Instead of getting mad at God, instead of continuing to question God, instead of continuing to ask God to remove the circumstance in his life, what did he do? He decided that, hey, if this is what God wants me to have, if this is the situation God wants me to deal with, then I'm just going to keep moving for the glory of God. And that's exactly what it means to be caught up in the Spirit, or to be in the Spirit. It means that no matter how difficult it is, we are still going to trust God. And we're just going to keep moving for him. Romans 8, 28, you know this verse. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. I, now listen to me. I, I think that this verse is one of the, one of the greatest verses in the Bible. But we have to stop quoting just the first part of it. Because I have people tell me all the time, Pastor, we know that all things work together for good. Pastor, we know that all things work together for good. I'm going to believe that statement. But you've got to read the whole verse. To them. Who, do they work, who does it work good for? To them that love God. The Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see, there, there's a rule to follow. If you look at God's word, you will always see that. You will always see God blessing, but he either he puts some kind of ending on the verse or he puts some kind of beginning on the verse. And so what we have to do is we have to say, what does the whole verse say? To them that love God, and then this is important, to them who are called according to his purpose. Uh-oh, pastor, we're all in trouble tonight. Uh, because I'm not sure that I've been called. Listen, I believe that everybody's been called. I believe it's just whether or not we've answered. Right? We've all been called to do something. It's whether or not we decide to answer the phone. Or if we let the answer machines pick up and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I just don't have time now to take your call. But if you'll leave your name and what you want me to do, I'll be sure to think about it. Right? 
to them who are called according to his purpose. Doing what God has called you to do. Loving him first. Doing what he's called you to do. And then he promises everything else will work together for good. And that's where we're at tonight with John. Being in the spirit, John says, he says this. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Now this is very significant. Um, because as you begin to look at what the Bible talks about in reference to musical instruments, especially trumpets, um, it gets very interesting. The sounding of a trumpet meant the message to be given was of paramount importance. That's the word, paramount importance. To find the meaning of Jesus' voice being like a trumpet, we must observe the rule of first, and the next word is mention. The rule of first mention. Now I want to talk to you about this just a moment because you're going to hear me say this quite often as we go through the book of Revelation. When we study things in the Bible, it's important that when we, when we look at a subject or we look at what God is speaking about, that we always go back in the word of God and see where it was first mentioned. And so here we have a trumpet. And so we need to know where a trumpet was first mentioned because we want to know how significant a trumpet is. One of my favorite instruments, I, I love when Brother Brent gets up here and plays the trumpet. I love the trumpet. I picked up a trumpet one time and I tried to blow into that thing. The only thing that happened was my cheeks got really big and I turned really red. Because I don't know how to blow on the trumpet. I don't have a clue. All I know is that when somebody picks it up that's really good at it, man, that is awesome. Like a few weeks ago in Denver Beerman, he was, you know, singing all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden he picked up that trumpet in the middle of a song. And I mean, he let loose. I mean, he really did. And I'm sitting and I'm going, yeah, I taught him that. <laughs> no, I'm thinking, how in the world? It's amazing. The thing about a trumpet is, here's what I love about it, is it's an instrument, and it's really not that big. It's really not that big of an instrument. But the sound that comes out of it, you ready? It demands attention. It demands attention. If you're anywhere, I, I, when I lived in uh, Michigan, we used to go down to the Detroit Tiger games. You'd get tickets for like three bucks. That tell you anything about them. Um, but uh, we used to go down to the Detroit Tigers game. And there was this guy, and he was uh, a master trumpeteer. But he, had, uh, he was uh, 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 homeless, but he was a master trumpeteer. And he had his trumpet box out there, and, you know, he would play, and people would throw money and all that kind of stuff. Well, one day I was down there, and I, was, I, 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 I didn't hear the trumpet. And I thought, man, what happened to him? Because, I mean, it demanded attention. And I kid you not, it was almost like he was waiting for me, even though he, I didn't go that many games, but that's how I felt, because I'm walking, and all of a sudden, right behind me, I mean, it was almost like right in my ear, this guy starts blowing that trumpet. And I jumped, because it scared me. You know why? Because it demanded attention. And so it's important that we look at the first mention. This rule, which is very important in interpreting the book of Revelation, simply states that the first time a word, object, incident, or phrase occurs in the Bible, it contains the key to its meaning elsewhere in Scripture. So where is the rule of first uh, uh, mention for the trumpets? Numbers chapter number 10. This is a great story. You ought to go home and study it. Numbers chapter number 10. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, 
Make thee two trumpets of silver, of a whole piece shalt thou make them, that, uh, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. Did you see that? Two trumpets. So you're going to blow on the trumpets, which means everybody should assemble, and you're going to blow on the trumpets to keep everybody moving in the right direction. Verse number three, and when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now I want you to think about this. We're talking about the children of Israel. We're not talking about ten people. We're talking about probably an excess of just alone 10,000 men. And here they are, they're all together, and Moses says, hey, listen, listen to me. When you hear the trumpet, no matter where you're at, when you hear the trumpet, you need to come to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So again, that trumpet was demanding attention. And then in verse number 9, look at this, and he says, and if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, look what he says, then you shall blow an alarm with the... So now the trumpet is an alarm. And you shall re- be remembered, do you see this? Before the Lord your God, and you shall be what? Saved from your enemies. And all you got to do is blow the trumpet. So don't tell me as we look at this passage of scripture that it's not important that we understand that here is the trumpet being mentioned that not only demands attention and assembly, but it wins the battle. It wins the battle. So it's very important. By using the comparison as of a trumpet in Revelation chapter 1-10, John indicates the forthcoming revelation um, is of divine origin. And in the battle described, the Lord is leading and will rescue his people. You hear people say it all the time. You've heard me say it. I've read the last book. I know who wins. Because all I know is that somebody's got to blow a trumpet and the Lord is going to show up and everything's going to be taken care of. Right? So if you don't get anything else out of this book of Revelation, just listen for the trumpet. Because I think someone's going to blow a trumpet and the Lord's going to come back. And then I think someone's going to blow a trumpet and God is going to show up on the scene and he's going to take care of the battle. I don't know about you, but I want to learn how to play trumpets. I do. Because it's such a powerful and, and symbolic instrument to who God is. The voice commanded John, he said this, What thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches. So John is beginning his vision uh, in Patmos, and uh, God tells him, If you see it, write it. Each of the seven churches listed here was a local church. And the order in which they are mentioned begins with Ephesus on the coast, it proceeds north and then swings uh, east and south. And you've seen the map. You have it on your first lesson of where those are. The spiritual conditions. Here we go. The spiritual conditions of these seven churches portray almost every known spiritual deficiency um, that has affected Christian churches throughout history. And we're going to study each one of them. These conditions have been present in churches of every period even though various ones seem to be dominant in certain periods. And so he's writing to the seven churches that were listed and that we read tonight. Number two, the cause of the Patmos vision. The cause of it. Why did God want John to write it? What is the cause here? 
Verse number 12, let's read it together. Verse number 12 through verse number 16. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs uh, were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was the sun shining in his strength. And so here uh, uh, John is beginning to describe what he is seeing. Uh, hearing the voice behind him, John turned to see its source. When he saw, what he saw was seven golden candlesticks. Seven golden candlesticks. These candlesticks were not like the lampstand in the tabernacle or in the temple. If you remember, uh, if you've ever studied the temple, the lampstand uh, uh, that is there in the temple. This was nothing like that. For it was seven branched, having a central sa uh, shaft and three branches on each side. And so there we have... Uh, uh, what the lampstand or what he is actually seeing in the candlesticks. What John saw in verse 12 were, tw or excuse me, were seven separate lampstands. They were seven separate lampstands. These lampstands, of course, represented the seven churches uh, in Asia Minor that he was speaking of or that he was writing to. So he saw the seven separate lampstands. Uh, and they were the church. In the midst of the churches, John saw one like unto the Son of Man. This is the same expression as used in Daniel chapter 7 and verse number 13 to refer to Christ. And so right in the middle of the lampstand, right in the middle of these candlesticks, should I say rather, right in the middle of these candlesticks, the Bible says that John saw one that was like unto the Son of Man. And I'm going to tell you this is the reason. Because you do not have church unless God is in the midst of it. Are you with me? You don't have church unless God is in the midst of it. God has got to be the central focus. It, he, he was in the middle. One likened to the Son of Man. Uh, uh, as also Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man more than 80 times during his earthly ministry. Uh, though on occasion he also used the phrase Son of God. This self-designation of Jesus is often used in association with the necessity of his suffering and his death. So he was the son of man and he was the son of God. And uh, this just tells you that he was just as much man as he was God um, as he came uh, to this earth. And so this is, God, or this is John describing God as we know it. Clothes, the Bible says in verse number 13... With a garment down to the foot. Now, this begins a sevenfold description of Christ by John. I, I'm going to be honest with you. As I look through uh, uh, verses in the Bible and passages of Scripture, I believe with all my heart. And you may say, Pastor, I, I differ with you on this, and that's okay but, for you to be wrong. I know. Um, but uh, this, I believe, is probably the greatest uh, uh, physical description. Of who Christ is and how he is described. So he's clothed with a garment down to his foot. The long robe is similar to that worn by the high priest. 
identifying Christ as the great high priest of the churches. I'm going to tell you right now that this church would not be who it is today without God. It doesn't matter who the pastor is. Because God is the high priest. God is the one that's in control. God is the one that we are to be lifting up. And so it is, the long robe is similar to that of the high priest. So, so uh, uh, John is recognizing that God is the high priest. Now, the next uh, part of verse number 13, he talks about the golden girdle. Now, I know that in these days, uh, girdles are probably not the uh, fashion accessory. Um, but here the passage is saying the golden girdle uh, responds to that used by the high priest to bind his garments high on the belt and at the waist. Now this is interesting. The high priest girdle had golden thread in it, but the one described by John was of pure gold. Because he is greater than any high priest that ever walked the face of this earth. And he is pure and he is holy. Verse 14 says, his head and his hairs were white as wool. The white hair was a sign of maturity, wisdom, and purity. It reminds us of the appearance of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9 and verse number 3. The Bible says, and his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on the earth can white them. He was just glowing. What an amazing thing that must have looked like. And you say, Pastor, are we going to get to see that? Oh, we are. We are. We are going to get to see Jesus Christ in all of his radiance. You say, Pastor, what significance is it that he is uh, so pure and he's so holy? Do you remember, uh, as Paul was writing, he said this. He said, and I quote it to you all the time. He says, and at the name of Jesus, what's going to happen? Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Do you know why that is? Because when we see him as he is like this, there is no way that we will be able to stand up. It just won't happen. We'll be in such awe and such amazement of who God is. The Bible says in verse number 14, his eyes were as a flame of fire. Uh, this is a great description of who God is. This means that it reveals the all-penetrating, all-knowing intelligence of Jesus. His power to read secrets, to bring hidden things to light, and to search all the lives and hearts at a glance. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Listen to me tonight. There is nothing that you do that God does not see. We can pretend all we want to. We can say, you know what, no one knows about this or that in my life. Can I tell you that the Bible tells us, and we love to claim this verse, but we have to look at this verse both ways. The Bible says, I will never leave you or forsake you. We love that verse. Because in the midst of everything falling apart, the Lord is not going to leave me. And he's not going to forsake me. But oh, when everything's going okay, and we find, our little, uh, find a little place and we get comfortable. And the enemy starts slipping in and tempting us. And we start doing things that we shouldn't do. Can I remind you that he doesn't leave you or forsake you? He is there. By the way, let me let you in a little secret. He never goes on vacation. Even when we do. 
right? He, he is all knowing. He reveals it. And this is just it speaks to the intelligence of Jesus. I'm telling you when, you, when you think about the wisdom of God, it is beyond our understanding. It really is. And this is a great description of who he is. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 13 says. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by, huh, revealed by fire. Wait a minute. John said that his eyes were like fire. And the fire, do you see this? Shall try every man's work of what sort it is. This is not a literal fire. There is not going to be a literal fire in heaven. This is literally the only way they knew to describe what Jesus could do in his almighty power. So, every work will be made manifest. His feet, the Bible says, were like unto fine brass, as if they had burned in a furnace. That's what he says. Uh, that is the uh, next characteristic. That's supposed to say verse 15. I'm sorry. Uh, John mentions in verse number 15, this indicates the trials Jesus experienced in his earthly life, which made him an all-knowing and experienced judge. Um, many people have talked to me about this. Um, why did God not send Jesus to earth fully um, as an adult? And just allow him to do his three and a half years of ministry and go to the cross. Why did God allow his son to come to this earth and be born of, on all places in a manger. And, and, and being wrapped in literally death clothes. And why did God allow Jesus to, to literally grow up in this life and live 33 and a half years before he faced that awful death on the cross. Why did God allow that? Because the honest truth is, is that when we think about the description of Jesus, Jesus experienced in 33 and a half years everything that you and I will experience in our lifetime. He experienced what it was like to be a baby. He experienced what it was like to be a toddler. He experienced, and you say, Pastor, that's hard to really fathom. It really is. But he did. He experienced that. He experienced what it was like to be a teenager. Right? He experienced what it was like to be in his 20s. And he experienced the temptations. And he experienced everything that we too experience in our lives. And he had the trials which made him an all-knowing and experienced judge. When I was in Bible college, our, our professors would get up. And uh, they would stand behind a lectern, and uh, they would say, now, young men, you're going to face, and they would talk about a, something that happened in their life. Now, young men, there's going to be times in your life where the whole church hates you. <laughs> Woo, I want to be a pastor. No. Uh, now, now, guys, there's going to be this, and there's going to be that, and you're going to be faced with this, and you're going to be faced with that. And I went four years of that. Boy, I was ready to hit the ground running, let me tell you. But you know what I struggled with? I got to my first church. I preached a message. Somebody came down. They accepted Christ as their personal Savior. They walked over to me, and this is what they said. I want to be baptized. You want me to do what? <laughs> I've seen that done, but I've never done anything like that before. They're like, what do you mean? You're like a pastor. I'm like, yeah, I know. 
I don't even know how deep the water is because it's been so long since I was baptized. There was no practicality. There was, I mean, I, I, there was a lot of book smarts. Maybe. But, I mean, there was the practicality of it was so not there. When Jesus Christ came to this earth and walked to this earth, he knew what it was like. But now he practically put it into practice. And he can say he walked the face of this earth being sinless, facing the same temptations that we face. His feet like unto brass. It's a great thought. Feet of brass also represents strength and stability. Another point to be noted is that the temple's altar of sacrifice, where sin was punished by the shedding of blood, was made of brass. It was made of brass. So it's a, a great thought of the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus' feet once had rough spikes driven through him. But when he comes again, it will not be as a humble servant, but as a priest and a judge with impermeable feet of brass. What a great thought tonight. His voice as the sound of many waters is John's next description. The only thing that I could correlate that with is Niagara Falls. Like the mighty sound of the Niagara, his voice will drown out all other sounds. How many of you have ever been in the Niagara Falls? It's like a, it's like a mighty rushing moment. Uh, I've never been on the little boat that takes you by Niagara. I've watched videos of crazy people that have done it, though. You know, they get on the boat. It's like 22 degrees outside, and you're like, we're fine, we're fine, you know. Next week, that's why... Uh, uh, New York's hospitals are always full because uh, they all have pneumonia now, you know. And, and, but it's just an amazing thing. It just literally will take your breath away. And it is as the voice of many waters, a mighty sound of God's voice. And he had in his right hand seven stars, verse number 16. He had in his right hand seven stars. Verse 20 tells us the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, I don't want you to take anything away from what I'm about to say. I just want to share with you um, what, how this verse is translated in the application. Um, uh, verse 20 tells us the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. All ecclesiast uh, ecclesiastical authority is vested in Christ. The word angel means messengers. So the angels are messengers to the churches which translates uh, with the Greek, uh, this could very well refer to pastors of local churches. Being in the right hand could refer to the divine calling of a pastor to be the Lord's messenger on earth. Now, just remember this. This does not in any way imply pastors are closer to the Lord, but they are divinely called to lead the church. Does that make sense? Uh, angels translate to messengers, and the messengers to the church are the pastors. Um, so, uh, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. We have been given the word of God to live by. <laughs> and when the Lord comes again, it will be the Bible by which we are judged. There is no other judgment besides the word of God. It's like being in school um, and the teacher says, read this passage in um, uh, Huckleberry Finn. 
And when you come tomorrow, there'll be a test on these 25 pages. And everything that you're tested on will be in these 25 pages. You go, you take the test, you bomb it. And what do you do? You go to the teacher. None of these questions were in the book. Isn't that what you do? These questions weren't in the book. My sons have come home and told me that I can't tell you how many times. Dad, they gave me questions today that we've never learned. Anybody ever had that happen? Yeah. Dad, that was not in the book. So you know what I say? Where's the book? Well, I think it's in my locker. I'm not real sure. So did you bring the book home and read it? Well, like we had about five minutes at the end of class and I got all of it done. So you read 25 pages in Huckleberry Finn and you remembered every single word to know that none of the questions were in that 25 pages. Yes. All right, let's go to the library. We open up the book, and what does dad do? He reads it. He looks at the questions. Not only are all the questions in the book, they're in order by page. Right? Listen to me. Listen to me. That's why it's so important that we read our Bible. That's why it's so important that we study the Word of God. Study to show thyselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. You ought to study that verse, because that verse will tell you that a, a workman that needeth not to worry if he's going to fail. He's not going to have to worry about it. He's not going to be ashamed. Listen, that's why we study the word of God. We've been given it, and that's what we'll be judged by. We won't be judged by anything else. For the word of God, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, is quick and powerful and sharper than any what? Oh, we just read about two edges coming out of his mouth. Two edges sword piercing even to the dividing of asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. The presence of the glorified Christ radiates immense light. Peter, James, and John saw it on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 2. And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun. We read that a few moments ago. And his raiment was white as the light. Number three, and I've got to hurry. I've got to do number three in three minutes. Here we go. You ready? The consequences of the Patmos vision. Verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. If you have a, a Bible where it has black and red letters, you'll notice that the letters have turned red. Uh, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The consequences of the Patmos vision, the sheer awesomeness of the presence of Christ caused John to fall at his feet as dead. This was the same John who had leaned against Jesus' chest at the Last Supper in John chapter number 13 and verse number 25. He fell at his the Lord reassuringly told John in verses 17 to 18 that he had nothing to fear, that the Lord is who he says he is, and that he is alive forevermore. And can I tell you, that is our reassurance today. Jesus is 
who Jesus says he is, and he, will, he is alive forevermore. Though the risen Savior and glorified Lord is to be revered, faithful believers like John can be sure they are safe in his hands. Moreover, Christ has the keys of hell and of death. It's important that you understand verse number 18 as it's um, translated uh, in, our, in our Bibles. Keys grant the holder sovereignty. Jesus is sovereign over death and over Hades. The Greek tra- uh, word translated hell in our passage is that of Hades, which refers to the immediate state of death. If you are lost, uh, just tell you like it is according to the word of God. If you are lost here tonight and you were to pass away, you would go to Hades, which is literally the immediate state of death awaiting judgment. There is a second hell referred to in the word of God in the King James um, that is translated lake of fire. And this refers to the eternal state of judgment. And can I tell you something? That Christ is in complete control of both of them. Because he has the keys of death and hell. Be encouraged today. This is the last thought. Uh, that we serve a powerful God who holds everything in his hands, including us. However, we should also be in awe of the powerful and righteous God that we serve as well. Any thoughts tonight? Any questions? I know that was a lot of information in about 48 minutes, but we made it. By the way, this is how it will probably be from now on, now that we're finally getting into the, into the meat of it, and we're no longer really laying the foundation. This is um, the excitement of the book of Revelation, and what I, my hope is, is that this is not just a, a class or a lecture, that, this, that the Word of God will become alive to you like it's never become alive to you before, and that you can connect with it and want to have the desire to study it. All right, let's pray tonight. Thank you so much for being here. Lord, we love you. Give us a great night. Thank you for everyone that was here. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for its power and its applicability. Lord, I pray that you will uh, give us a great night and a great week. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you still have not signed up for the prayer uh, vigil, if you'll come see me if you'd like to do that or if you'd like to order a t-shirt those uh, or a collar shirt, those uh, order forms are at the desk. God bless you. Have a great week.